name is Alex, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to the Cozen O'Connor Public Strategy Series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded and will also be available on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. For any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. I would now like to turn the conference over to Blake Rutherford. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you very much, and thank you to everyone who uh, has joined us today. Um, my name is Blake Rutherford with Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and this is uh, our weekly, I think it's going to be, in light of everything going on uh, in politics and policy in Washington, uh, called um, call the, the Beltway Briefing. I'm joined today, as always, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Howard, Mark, always great to be with you guys. Thanks, Blake. Thank you. Um, well, I uh, I think Mark, at, at one point, you and I you and I um, batted around the notion of whether uh, there there would be enough content coming out of the early days of the Trump administration, uh, enough for for us to talk about and analyze, both in the context of politics and policy. I, I think the administration's proving that that they are they are not going to sit quietly in the early days uh, of their administration. We are. 10 days in and it has been um it has been nothing short uh of active i think and mark where i where i want to begin our our discussion today is is really kind of ripped from the headlines we have uh, arguably the 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 most significant and also right now apparently the most controversial uh of president trump's executive orders um which uh bans um, certain um, persons from certain countries around the world from entering the United States for a period of time. It has led to people uh, being turned away as they've tried to enter the country and in certain cases either detained for periods of time till they can gain admission uh, or returned uh, to the country of origin. Um, and it has created a lot of, a lot of conversation um, nationally and internationally. Um, Mark, in the context of, of that effort and in the context of Trump being really very active early in his presidency, what do you make uh, of the ramifications uh, of that ban? I, I want to get into the policy ramifications with you and Howard a little bit later, but let's talk about politics first. Uh, what are the political ramifications of, of that order at this point, do you think? Well, Blake, let me go back to the beginning and admit that I asked a foolish question last week about whether these calls could be weekly, whether we would have enough to talk about. I am withdrawing that question. We have too much to talk about. And I think that that is part of the political answer. There is chaos in the political system right now. I think we are headed towards a uh, geopolitical recession if, if this sort of uh, confusion continues. And what is most significant to me about the Muslim ban, which Rudy Giuliani at least had the honesty to uh, admit is what it's intended to be, what is most significant is how it was done. It was done without consulting any other agencies. It was done without consulting the Congress. 
It was done by people in secrecy who clearly didn't know what they were doing. You can be for or against the policy. It plainly wasn't done well. And I think what is happening 10 days in, if this continues, is that the confidence not only of the American people and Congress in the administration, but the confidence of members of the administration is being eroded. General Mattis, General Kelly, and others are not going to stick around to be embarrassed as they were last week or to be precluded from doing their duty so I, I don't think it could have come down much worse. Howard, I, I want to I sort of extrapolate on, on that point because you, you obviously have advised um, cabinet secretaries. And it is apparent that, uh, you know, to Mark's point, that, um, that General Mattis and General Kelly and Rex Tillerson, uh, the soon, soon to be, I think, were on this course, Secretary of State, uh, were not consulted uh, by the administration uh, prior to doing this. It really does seem like that it was two of Trump's um, senior policy advisors, Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon, uh, with some help from what appears to be, curiously, um, some staffers on the Hill, but not members and certainly not committee chairman. Um, what do you make about about that, Howard? Is that is that inside baseball? Do we do we care or is is to Mark's point there there likely to be some some erosion of confidence, if not greater disruption as a result of of that dynamic? Well, Blake, in government process is as important as substance. And um, I think in this case, um, all of that is about is about the process, um, and in order to um, operate as one government, um, which is critically important to confidence in the White House, um, you gotta you gotta have good processes around your policy, so um, so you're acting as 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 one, especially in the early days. So I, I think um, the lesson that, that the White House will learn from this is one of process. I think on substance, they're not particularly concerned about, about the policy. Um, and there no doubt would have been these protests and, and an uproar on a, on a policy basis alone, um, but it would have been much less um, chaotic, to uh, use Mark's word, if um, if it had been done in a in a, pursuant to an orderly process, yeah, Howard, and I, th- I think that's that's an interesting an interesting point. Now, I want to I want to kind of stay with it for for a little bit because we are Mark and you saw this, you know, both of you saw this firsthand with when, when the Obama administration uh, began and 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 how their staffs came together. Um, you know this uh, this White House, uh, unlike that one, and, and certainly we can compare it to others. Uh, but this White House is, um, you know, seems to be teetering on less of a a, a spirit of cohesion. Um, there is a question about the influence of the president's chief of staff versus his chief strategist. So Reince Priebus, his chief of staff, versus Steve Bannon, his chief strategist. Um, The role of his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and there's a story in 
Vanity Fair today about his efforts to try and really build a bridge between President Trump and the president of Mexico, only to see that bridge collapse 24 hours later. Uh, we saw Steve Bannon with some very pointed comments about the role of, of the media and how the media ought to feel in the wake of the president's victory. And then Sean Spicer, the president's press secretary, uh, essentially saying, I, I disagree with 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 those media characterizations. Um, what significance and, and, and again, what consequence do both of you think um, about about those tensions within the West Wing? Um, again, too much inside baseball. Are we paying too much attention to it or is it leading to uh, real problems? I mean, I, I think certainly with the rollout of 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 the the Muslim ban, one one could certainly articulate uh, that 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 dysfunction in the West Wing led to um, a bad process. To your point, Howard. But Howard, I wanted to just come back to you. What what do you make of what you're hearing out of the West Wing itself? Well, I I don't necessarily actually I disagree with your premise, which is that it's different than other administrations. Yes, there's some dysfunction. These guys are um, getting up and running. And I can tell you because I was there in in 2009 when Obama took office, there was plenty of dysfunction. There was plenty of disagreement um, among his team. And we were actually dealing then with not a self-inflicted crisis, but 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 an actual existential crisis. Um, and, and there were factions. There were people um, on different sides of the issue in terms of how to deal with the with the financial crisis, um, and Mark, I think, wants to jump in and say something. Well, but, uh, you know, this is... It, <laughs> no, it's not, is what it's not. In my opinion, there is all the difference in the world, and I mean the world, because the whole world is watching. There's all the difference in the world between dysfunction due to inexperience and learning curve, on the one hand, which clearly characterized the early days and weeks and months of the Obama administration, and dysfunction, on the other hand, caused by affirmative disrespect for and dismissal of the experts in the subject matter that is being considered, the men and women, although in this case sex of the former acting attorney general, it's all men, the men whom the president has asked to serve him and to serve the country on these very issues. I disagree. I think it is naive and falsely optimistic, fake optimism for our age of fake news, to think that this president is going to learn anything or that this president is going to change. Donald Trump and Steve Bannon are experienced enough in running stuff their way, that they did this. They decided we're not telling anybody. We're just simply doing it. Everybody works for them in their view, and everybody will just get on board or leave in their view. That's what their press secretary said. So I, I would love to see some learning, but I'm very pessimistic that this was caused by inexperience as much uh, as by deliberate 
disrespect of the intelligence community and the uh, the justice. I department. mean, look, Mark, it's a huge deal. I don't disagree, and it, it is. He a, announced this in front of his Secretary yeah. of Defense without telling him. No, it's bad. It's bad. It's That's from a, not inexperience. It is. That is a deliberate decision about how uh, to govern the country. It's in. It may be inept. It is going to hurt the president. It absolutely costs him precious political capital, as I said on CNN.com this morning. But, um, but it it is an experience. It is um, something that can be corrected. And if Trump wants to have a successful presidency, he's got to watch and learn. So, well, Howard, to that agree to disagree, I I don't. And by the way, the, inexperience caused him not to. Look, turn around and say to his Secretary of Defense, by the way. Look, I I am not going to defend the way they've handled this in any way, shape, or form. I'm a, I'm, a pro, I'm a government process guy. I'm, you know, somebody who knows how to work the process. Um, and it's critically important, and you've got to bring people along. But I do think that six months down the road, they're either going to, they're either going to get it right, or they're going to be in shambles. And I think we should all be hoping that they get it right. So let's let's stay let's stay with the with, with this for a little bit because we had a last night we had a a, a rather significant um, development. So um, the acting attorney general Sally Yates uh, issued a a directive to uh, her federal attorneys at the Department of Justice um, not to uh, enforce. Uh, the president's executive order, in part, uh, in significant part, to, to the point that Mark made and that uh, former Mayor Giuliani made, that this was uh, a Muslim ban and that that would raise um, significant legal questions. Uh, and Trump fired her um, and has put in place uh, the U.S. attorney from the Eastern District of Virginia, uh, who has said he's going to enforce uh, the Muslim ban, all until Presumably, Jeff Sessions is uh, confirmed as the next attorney general, but they're holding a hearing uh, and debate on – not a hearing. I'm sorry. They're just holding debate on him today. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Mark, what do you make of, of – um, certainly, Sally Yates was a 27-year um, attorney at DOJ. It served Republicans and Democrats, uh, but was the acting AG uh, under, under President Obama – um, and is was holding that position only until uh, Sessions was confirmed, which you know in theory could be by the end of this week. Uh, what do you make of what do you make of uh, of that decision? Any consequences uh, politically or otherwise for the president? Well, first and foremost, I of course agree with her legal analysis that this is an unconstitutional and unenforceable order. But I I will say there are two sides to to this particular story. She handled it one way, and I respect the way she handled it. I admire her. She knew she was getting fired the, the minute she put that directive out. She could have resigned in protest, would have been another way to do it. That would have spared the country the firing that, that came by the president. But the point to me isn't so much that president replaced the acting attorney general to a degree this is 
a little bit inside baseball. She was the acting attorney general only until Sessions is confirmed. He will be confirmed, although it's now being slowed down. It's, again, the consequences of these actions for governing. For example, the acting attorney general last night, Sally Yates, had clearance to approve surveillance of suspected terrorists. It's a whole complicated special court procedure. The new acting attorney general does not, and the government is scrambling today to keep its its intelligence and surveillance program together because until the new guy gets the special court clearance, there's no one who can sign a warrant. So the way in which things are being done, apart from the content of the policy, is chaotic and is damaging the the governing of the country. This is all just politics, Blake. All so, yeah, I mean, I, I, in the Justice Department. Today. Mark, it's politics. Come on, she knew oh, she what knew was going to happen. She I, wanted to get fired. He wanted to fire her. They're both playing to – she's political. I know she was a career prosecutor. She was the deputy attorney general under President Obama. There are politics all around, and it's – But frankly, she wasn't consulted as she should have been on the way in. It's, they it's all part consulted of the, the Office of Legal Counsel at the Department of Justice as to the constitutionality of the order. That's the office that every president – that the White House Counsel's Office – turns to for legal opinions, it's inside DOJ, specifically on and only on constitutional issues. They vetted it with them. Look, I don't like the thing. I'm not defending the thing as a policy matter, but this is political theater and that's all it is. So let's talk about let's talk about the policy ramifications of of this ban. Um I did an interview yesterday on the effect uh that it that it is likely to have on the airline industry, for example, which is, you know, not only faced with with having to having to um, you know try and 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 manage through the uncertainty of of it, but also is is having to bear cost burdens of returning people to countries when they are when they are um, not. Um, not allowed to come in. I think there are there are other uh, policy ramifications for this ban. Howard, I thought I thought I might start with you. What do you see as as the policy the policy challenges that that the country may face going forward, um, assuming this ban uh, holds up? Well, Blake, I guess um, I, I think the primary challenges are national security challenges as opposed to. Um, kind of practical business challenges. It's um, what is the impact of this order on national security? It's in that context that it, that it was issued. Um, you know, does this make us safer or less safe? And the president of the United States owns that decision. That doesn't necessarily make me sleep better at night. Um, in fact, it affirmatively does not. But but this is a national security policy issue, and and that's really um, the beginning and the end of it. 
But the national security has been compromised by the policy. If we're talking now about the substance of the policy, we now have created the most uh, compelling recruiting tool for ISIS with this policy. We have now undermined the building of trust in the American Muslim community, and that is a critical element of our terrorism campaign at home. And we are keeping out no bad dudes, as the President of the United States literally tweeted, because this isn't fact-based. It is. Uh, it, this is all political. I will agree with you there. This is all political. He promised to ban Muslims, and he's banning Muslims, although obviously left out a couple of countries where coincidentally he, he does business. Forty. Well, I, look, I'm not defending it. I agree with everything. I agree with everything you just said. It makes us less safe, but. This call is not about you or me opining on what makes this country safer or less safe because we're not qualified to do that. What we are qualified to do is to comment on the politics of this and on the long-term impact. And the questions that I'm getting from clients and people I speak to are what more, they're more like, how did this happen? What is the process by which this came down. I mean, people hate this thing as a policy issue, well, and they think it's discriminatory and unconstitutional. But the questions we're getting from our clients, Mark, are what does this mean for the future? What does this mean about my health, how my health care issues are going to be dealt with? My energy policy issues are going to be dealt with? Are they going to follow the same kind of process in dealing with those? Or is some sense of normalcy going to, going to return to... To Washington, let, are things going to normalize? Let me let me let me interject. Let me interject and kind of and, and sort of pull this back to 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 what I think is is a is a necessary and interesting development, Mark, which is, and I think there was there was certainly commentary early um, in the transition, and even to a degree, I think uh, up until about I don't know, maybe even forty eight hours ago, that Trump was a deal maker. And he was going to make deals and that Schumer was willing to make deals and Paul Ryan was willing to make deals. Howard raises the point about people's interest in, in how this went down. Mark, I think you, you you did kind of encapsulate it. I think we have a good sense that this was very much uh, two people in Trump making making a call here, which from my own perspective should rattle um, anyone um, in 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 the business world, because if that's how decision-making is going to be made. It'll continue to be unpredictable, just as as this was, setting aside the fact that Trump did say he wanted to ban Muslims during the campaign. Uh, but, Mark, the Democrats are now changing their tune. Unpredictable. Right. They, they, Mark, the Democrats are changing their tune now. Um, this is, and they are beginning to telegraph that this will be a, a full-out resistance, that they will oppose everything Trump wants to do, which if that is the case, um, takes this notion of deal-making uh, off the table unless Trump can find a way to, to bring it back. What are your thoughts in terms of, of the ramifications of that for people needing to engage with this administration if the, if the Democrats do, in fact, run an all-out blockade of, of Trump's agenda? Well, to your point and Howard's that we are getting barraged with inquiries 
from the business community about how to do business in the Trump era. What has happened is that the the fantasy that there was going to be deal-making and that things were going to happen has been blown to hell here in the first 10 days. Never say never. I'm not saying that Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump can never repair the rift and do a deal, but everything got harder. The consequences for legislation and regulation that the business community and the country uh, is deeply interested in, everything just got harder. Repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act just got harder. The rollback of regulations on the financial community just got harder, and, and on and on. And that has consequences beyond the 48 Democrats in the Senate going into opposition. It has consequences far outside the uh, halls of Congress in terms of how Americans live their lives in the now complete uncertainty of the Trump administration. So, Howard, recognizing that 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 uncertainty um, exists, what you know, you published a piece last week about about sort of some some principles of how to engage with the Trump administration. Um, but we're we're seeing, you know, we're 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 gaining more insight, I guess I should say, every day in terms of uh, in terms of their decision making. Um, what, what advice do you have at this point? Um, to anyone who, who, to Mark's point, is, is looking at this and saying, wow, um, if they're really going to issue an executive order uh, with these kinds of ramifications without consulting the traditional channels, you said process matters as much as policy. If the Trump process is an entirely new process, what advice do you have based on what you've seen so far? And I know it's early, but what advice do you have? The same advice I had a week ago, which is you got to stay engaged. And you have to bet that things are going to normalize to some extent, and I think they will. You know, you can't um, overlearn the lessons of the early days of this administration. Look, Bill Clinton had a had a he stumbled out of the gate. Um, Barack Obama stumbled out of it. This is look, this was bad, and I'm as offended personally by the policy as you guys are, um, but but things are, will normalize. They have to normalize from a process point of view. And well, so what? stay engaged and work the process. And I fundamentally disagree. I, I, let me, I agree that it just became harder to cut deals. I do not agree that we are now in an environment where deals won't be cut in the future. Of course, deals are going to be cut in the future. Of course, Trump's going to be able to work with Chuck Schumer. This isn't um, all-out war on every single thing that's on the agenda. It's Trump cost himself political capital. Um, maybe that makes it more likely deals are going to be cut. Washington is still Washington. It's not changing. You have to stay engaged. Mark, well, I don't... One of the, I don't I'm sorry, Mark, go ahead. Yeah. 
Well, I certainly agree on the engagement point. Uh, by the way, uh, you have to stay engaged as citizens of the country also, but that's a different call maybe. But I just want to say again, because it is what I believe, it is what I believe we have seen in the two years that we have been in this surreal experience. Process is not only important, process is policy. The way in which the president decides to conduct business is a policy decision. And I believe a dangerous policy decision has been made about how Donald Trump intends to govern. We, we will see. As, a, as an American, we should all be hoping that this was a rookie mistake. I, I think not. Look, they were, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. We wrote an op-ed a long time ago that they were not preparing to transition. And I think a lot of this goes back to that. They weren't prepared. They, they were not prepared to assume the presidency. Donald Trump did not plan a transition. As a result, when he won unexpectedly, um, they were way behind the curve in terms of staffing for a day one start. And I think as a result, this is what's happening. And, 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 and staffing up a half-empty government, which is what we have, got harder because of how this all went down. Talking that, somebody into becoming the deputy defense secretary got harder over the weekend. And now we're seeing we're seeing again this notion of 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 sort of you know sort of slow playing Trump's um, cabinet secretaries. That's that kind of took on an interesting interesting element today um, when the or recently when the Democrats boycotted um, the the votes on. Uh, Tom Price and Steve Mnuchin, which didn't allow the Republicans to have a quorum uh, to move those forward, um, which is I, I wouldn't is not a common common thing that we see happen um, in confirmation hearings. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, um, they're 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 debating uh, Jeff Sessions' uh, nomination now. I mean, Howard, what's your you staffing government is something that that you you've written about, you've talked about. Um, I know you don't staff a government and you don't staff a government during transition even. You certainly don't do it in the first 10 days, but but Mark raises the point about attracting talent into government um, and, and bringing competent people in. Um, with what we're seeing in this insular nature of of, of the White House and, and, and the growing um, influence um, that certain people within the West Wing have, uh, what are your what's your perspective on on the state of the state of uh, of government at this point um, and, and what the Trump administration, uh, you know, ought to consider as it as it really thinks about how to fill out these positions and 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 establish that that sense of normalcy that you think is coming? This has no impact on um, people's desire to serve in the administration. I know plenty of people, Mark, you and I know plenty of people and Blake, too, who are vying for jobs in this administration. And there's a long line of highly qualified people. Um, I don't think what's in the news today is impacting people's desire. I do think that, again, 
not being ready for prime time and being behind the curve um, in terms of vetting, in terms of the basic nuts and bolts of getting people on board, that's what's hurting these guys. That's what's going to slow this down. That's what is going to make this a one-year transition instead of a more typical six-month transition, and that's problematic. It, it is problematic. Well, so I'm what? not sure I agree that this isn't impacting people's decisions. We'll see what happens with uh, our meeting last night. Uh, he, My prediction is he won't go in, and I was approached this morning by someone who wants to talk to us, Howard, who is being considered for a very high position in the Defense Department and is having very severe second thoughts. So it there it's happening to at least the two people I've talked to. <laughs> well, let's 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 talk about it. Let's talk about a position that 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 is coveted by by a whole lot of people in in the legal profession and and one that that President Trump has indicated he will he will put forth tonight, which is which is uh, his nomination to fill the vacancy created by um, by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia uh, to the United States Supreme Court. Uh, the president has said he will he will announce his nomination at 8 p.m. Uh, in prime time, as we like to say. Um, with I, I don't know if there will be fireworks. Maybe there will be maybe there will be a guy on a motorcycle jumping over some cars, but. Um, but nevertheless, he's going to he's going to nominate uh, his Supreme Court pick, and by all accounts, it's down to three people, um, two of whom um, have all serve on on the Court of Appeals, um, but two of whom, which are uh, a little less controversial, and one that we've heard about before. So Thomas Hardiman, um, a Pennsylvania connection, uh, Judge Thomas Hardiman, um, Judge. Neil Gorsuch, who actually clerked for Scalia, I think, um, and that may not be right, sorry, but um, and then Bill Pryor, who came under fire uh, from who's from Alabama, who has a relationship to Jeff Sessions, um, who came under under some scrutiny um, in the past. Um, those seem to be the the top three choices, Howard. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts about about the president's direction here. On, on a Supreme Court nominee. I'm not going to ask you to forecast who it will be because I, I do think um, it, it could very much be a last-minute change by, by this president. But, um, but nevertheless, what do you think about Trump's direction here with a, with a Supreme Court nominee? Well, I think he knows he's got a fight on his hands and um, that there may be a sacrificial lamb here. You know, I think it, again, um, shows his ignorance of the process to think that, as he said last week, the Senate will just do away with um, the 60 vote margin that's required to put somebody through for for a vote, um, do away with the filibuster rule. Uh, Mitch McConnell came out and said, that's not your decision, Mr. President, that's mine. Um, and he's not going to do it. At least it doesn't appear right now that that's on his agenda. So. You know, I think a lot of this, again, gets back to institutional kind of jockeying. Um, it's just as important to Mitch McConnell that he preserves the prerogative of the Senate as it is that he uh, confirms President Trump's nominee. And he'd be happy. Look, there's always going to be another person waiting in the wings to take the job. I don't think it's that consequential um, which of the three he chooses. 
I think there's a very high likelihood that the Dems go to the mat and um, essentially and filibuster that nomination, and then they put someone else up, and that person gets confirmed. Well, just Mark, as what are your- a, a footnote, Blake, uh, to what Howard said, with which I, I generally agree, but at least the two leading contenders so far as we know, Gorsuch and Hardiman, there are a lot of senators, including a lot of Democrats, who have already voted to confirm these two men. They were voted right. to, they were confirmed for the uh, circuit courts on which they sit. So right away, this gets very complicated with either of of those two picks, uh, especially Hardiman, who's the more recent uh, of the appointments, because there are some Democrats who found him qualified to serve on the circuit court. Uh, They're going to have to explain why he's no longer qualified. But I, I think that there, there will be extreme vetting of the nominee. There will be extreme vetting, and whether there will be a filibuster or not, I believe, will depend on a number of things, on who the nominee is, on how the process unfolds as a process, and on what else is going on in the world. The hip bone's connected to the thigh bone. All of these events of the first 10 days are not unrelated. They are all politically related. And it's too soon to know whether there's going to be a tooth and nail fight over the Supreme Court. There will be tooth and nail fights aplenty. Whether it's over the Supreme Court, I don't think we're going to know until tomorrow or later. Howard, do you do you sense? I mean, to Mark's point, I mean, I mean, obviously, when Judge Garland was was put up for the Supreme Court, a lot of the the same arguments were made. Certainly, he had been he had been confirmed in the past and 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 respected by Republicans, and yet you know couldn't get a hearing, and and that certainly didn't have political didn't appear to have political consequences um, for the Republicans. But but memories can be long in politics and in life, so. What do you sense that that the smart play here is? I know I know it does depend a bit on the nominee. I mean, certainly if this was a you know a Harriet Myers esque pick um, that, that 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 even Republicans couldn't get behind, it's a different analysis. But but do you sense that 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 there's an opportunity, or, or let me ask it a different way: Do you sense that it's a smart play for the Democrats if it is one of these three to to go down the filibuster route just to prove a political point? No, I think it's um, a mistake. I think if the person is qualified for the position, that that's what the confirmation process is about, and that's what they they should vote on. I I think. I mean, look. I think on some level, it depends how they perform in their hearing. It depends on what comes up when the opposition research um, begins to to come out. Um, but if this is a um, Justice Roberts kind of performance as opposed to a Judge Bork kind of performance, they're going right. to have to vote to confirm the guy. Apparently, it's a guy. So, right. um, white guy. that's the way I see it. <laughs> yeah, white guy. Um, well, guys, look, I mean, I, I, I think we've, we've got, again, an, an, an interesting development tonight. We, we will certainly see. Um, Mark, the president's chosen to, uh, to make this announcement in, in prime time at 8 p.m. 
Um, I don't mean to put too cynical a point on it, but I think he, he probably wouldn't mind changing the conversation a little bit. But but what do you make about what do you make about about that decision? It certainly shines a whole lot of light on this appointment, puts it puts it front and center um, and puts the president talking to a national audience in in prime time. I, I, I dare I say is it must see TV. Well, it's must-see TV, as he has been uh, all along, which uh, is a whole different call about the role of the media and the rise of Trump. But this is actually must-see TV. It's the president of the United States addressing the country about a Supreme Court nomination. Uh, When his press secretary was asked why it had been moved from Thursday to Tuesday, of course, the answer was because he wanted to. And that probably is, in fact, the the underlying answer. But he wanted to because he wanted to change the conversation. He is a master at blowing things up and moving on. And and now he is doing it again with tonight's performance. This is a performance. And <laughs> and I'll be watching, uh, and you'll be watching, and Howard will be watching. I mean, I, I, I think... It's uh, every White House does this. I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> like every every yeah. White House does the same thing. You create a controversy to distract from whatever the issue is. Sure. I can't rattle off the top of my head the dozens of times that Barack Obama did this, that Bill Clinton did this, that George Bush did it. But this is politics 101. So let's not let's not make too much of that. Yes, he's the master of the PR game. Well, no one's going to beat him at that. But I think they are making a mistake in the sense that the um, immigration order was is fundamentally a constitutional issue. And the immigration order is on its way to the Supreme Court. So this is not unrelated. That's why I say hip bones connected to the thigh bone. You can't tease out these different issues. And I think you were saying, Howard, or at least I am saying, I don't know how much of a distraction or a deflection this will be. This is all politics. I think the question, the fundamental question that people are asking now is, um, do, does this, can this administration work its way out of self-inflicted crisis? Because that's what happened here Friday to over the weekend. It was self-inflicted crisis because they didn't follow a process. I think I'm more optimistic than you guys are, both of you, um, about their ability to do that. Trump isn't going to change who he is, but the White House can get its act together. Guess what? It's a hard job. I've been in the room. They can get their way to the point where they are no longer self-inflicting crisis on themselves. Um, and, and I, I think, I think they will generally speaking, politics is always going to be politics and these guys are going to play a lot of politics too. I think it's going to depend on who wins the tug of war between Steve Bannon and, and Reince Priebus. If, if indeed Priebus is still on the other end of that rope, he, he was going in. It's hard to know where he's been in the last week, but I said it before, I'll say it again. They they are not going to get their act together if, in fact, this is their policy about how to govern. 
And I think there is a chance that Steve Bannon's influence is behind this style of government. And if he remains the dominant force advising the president, I expect that we're going to have four years or less uh, of this. There are others who clearly don't think this is a good way to govern. And if their voices are heard, I, I don't know that they will be, but if their voices are heard, then some of this the, may calm down. The inflection point for this administration, and you kind of stole my line earlier, Mark, but I'll use it again anyway, is three months from now, four months from now, six months from now, when the administration goes to do something that Mattis or Kelly or somebody else doesn't like, particularly those two, though, and I think particularly Mattis, and he says, does he say, Mr. President, if you do X, I will tender my resignation? Or does he say, Mr. President, I am tendering my resignation? Or does he not? Um, that's the inflection point in this, excuse me, this administration. That's what is going to decide whether this administration is going to get its act together. And hopefully it happens sooner rather than later, frankly, because they need to get their act together. They need to have the process right. You're right, Mark. Process is policy on some level. Um, that's how this plays out. Well, um, I, guys, I think that, you know, to echo uh, a, a theme that I think has been consistent um, in, the, in the only 10 days uh, that we've been into this administration um, is engagement. Uh, stay engaged. Um, and certainly if you have thoughts, comments, questions about, about this call, um, don't hesitate to reach out to us, presidential analysis at cozen.com. Our next call is going to be February 7th. Uh, we look forward to that. Uh, Mark, Howard, uh, as always, appreciate the insight, and it uh, was great to be with both of you. Thanks, Thank Blake. you, Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line.